welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. I want to start by reading a, a passage from John's Gospel, chapter 8. Chapter 8 is, starts off with a woman caught in adultery. And then Jesus talks about the light of the world, that he is the light of the world. And then he goes on to say these following words. John chapter 8, verses 21 through to 32. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but, just, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know truth, and truth will set you free. <clears throat> this evening we start a, a short series looking at some of the challenges that we face as believers in a society and a culture that is not just simply apathetic to the things that we hold dear, but in many cases are quite derisory and quite mocking. In a, in a week or so, we will look at the challenge of kindness, of being kind in a society that is increasingly unkind, selfish, and increasingly angry. But this evening, however, I want to begin this series by looking at the challenge of truth, the very real challenge of truth, the challenge to be truthful and to stand for truth in a world where truth has lessening value than it once had, and that we are told by social experts that we are now living in a post-truth society. That we are right at the beginning of what is called a post-truth society. And I wanna highlight this phrase for a couple of moments, post-truth, because it is something that we will increasingly encounter. It is a phrase that we will increasingly hear used. And because in 2016, post-truth was chosen by the Oxford Dictionary as their word of the year. There were some very impressive words that they could have chosen from. But in 2060, the Oxford Dictionary, probably the father of all dictionaries, chose post-truth as their word of the year. Post-truth as an adjective is defined as relating to circumstances in which objective facts or truths are less influential in shaping public opinion than something that appeals to the emotions or personal belief. Said another way, how one feels, 
How one feels or thinks about a situation or something is more influential in shaping decisions and attitude than the truth about a situation is. That is quite alarming, that we are moving into this age where facts and truth are not quite so relevant as they used to be, but how we feel about a situation takes on more important. Something might well be wrong. It might well be incorrect, but if it looks good or feels good, then it's okay. My opinion matters. Society's opinion manage, uh, means more than the truth itself, and it's okay to do. Two examples from 2015 or 2016, really, that brought this phrase to the, to the forefront was the presidential election with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and the Brexit when the, the United Kingdom voted to come out of Europe or the European Union. I suppose it'll, it'll always stay in Europe geographically. But um, they said about the Hillary Clinton and uh, uh, Donald Trump election, irrespective of what you thought of the candidates, if you thought that they were the best candidate they were voted for. Irrespective of the facts or what people said about them, then you, if you wanted Clinton, nothing that anybody could say or prove to you about her would sway your vote. Exactly the same with Donald Trump. Whatever you thought about him was the deciding factor. Whether with Hillary Clinton, it had been the email scandals or her support of her husband through uh, 20 years when he became incredibly disliked, or was it the Benghazi affair? If you wanted her, you voted for her, irrespective of truth. And with Donald Trump, irrespective of the fact that he had no political experience, said what he did, spoke about women in the way that he did. If you chose if you thought that he was the best candidate, then you voted for him, irrespective of the facts. The people who voted for the Brexit in, in the United Kingdom were accused of not reading the economic statistics, of not being serious about what was going to happen in their future. But, they were, but so many people voted because they did no longer wanted to be part of the European Union. And these really did usher us into a post-truth society. The Oxford Dictionary continues in its explanation by saying that the prefix in post-truth has a meaning more like belonging to a time in which the specified concept has become unimportant or irrelevant. In other words, we are now moving into an era where which truth, as we have known it before, does not really matter. But what does matter is one's own opinion or the opinion of society. Truth suddenly is on trial, and you and I are the judge and jury. That society is the judge and jury. I find this whole discussion, this whole area around truth and its role quite fascinating for a number of reasons. For us as believers, what does it mean that with truth being attacked, what does that mean for each and every one of us as Christians or in our daily life or our response to the word of God. Firstly, because of the importance that scripture puts on truth and its ongoing role in the life of each believer in bringing about change and transformation, we really do need to know what is being said about truth. In our reading and in the whole of scripture, Jesus clearly teaches us that truth sets us free and he means the logos, the living word. He means the word of God as we have it today. This word, his word. If this body of truth becomes subject, subjective, if this 
body of truth comes up for discussion and society can tell us how important or not it is, what role does it have then in transforming us into the image of Christ? God's stated aim aim is to transform each and every one of us into the image of Christ through his word and through his Holy Spirit. If this is, but this is not to be believed, where does that leave us? If it's subjective, it gives us some real, real challenges. We end up being able to do what we like, when we like, with whom we like, because we feel it's okay. But what about the word of God? Tim Keller has an incredible... uh, word to say about this. Tim Keller says, now what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends you, your sensibility, and crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. A God essentially of our own making, and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in real friendship or marriage, Will you know that you have, a, you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination? So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is a precondition for it. There's an incredibly powerful statement that Tim Keller is making there about the need for the role of the word of God in our lives. And it's not subjective. It is, it is his word. Secondly, I don't believe that down through the years, the wider Pentecostal charismatic church in the West especially has done truth very well in regarding helping believers in our everyday walk. Often it has been more about faith than reality. It's been more about perception than actuality. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I think that truth can, at certain level, make us nervous. It can make us somewhat uncomfortable. We love everything about ministering grace. We love everything about valuing people, and that's absolutely right. But speaking truth is not so easy, and we tend to avoid it. We tend to skirt around it, sometimes because for we want to have a quiet life. We will come to speaking about truth with love in, in a few moments, but let's say that for most of us, Sometimes when we have to do truth, when we have to do candor, when we have to do perhaps even something of confrontation, it isn't something that we find really easy. And very often we end up saying nothing at all. You know, grace people are so pleasant to be around. They do not ruffle feathers. They cut us slack. And they are easygoing and without fail accept us for whom we are. But without truth, grace is not really Grace, it is just being accepting and nice. In this grace scenario, we are accepted for who we are, but it doesn't help us become whom God wants us to be. The ongoing process of being set free and growing in God needs truth, needs grace, it needs kindness, it needs mercy, and it needs truth to undergird it all. And lastly, one of the reasons that this whole discussion around truth concerns me and the reality of it in our everyday life is because I find myself pastorally being confronted by situations, especially in relationship and family difficult difficulties, where conversations way too often go something like this. Chris Jones asks the question, if you feel like this, well, why don't you tell them how you feel? And the answer comes back, oh, I could never do that because I don't 
know how they will react. Chris Jones asking a question, why don't you tell them that they have hurt you? And the answer comes back, I could never do that, it would only make things worse. Chris Jones asking the third question, why don't you say that they are wrong? Well, the answer comes back, I could never do that because they would get upset with me and they wouldn't speak to me and the kids for weeks or they would be in a mood. Such conversations, such conversations deeply disturb and concern me for if we as believers have been set free by truth, then suddenly to, to refuse to trade in the very same currency that has set us free concerns me. What will happen? If we are not able to receive and give truth, how will we survive, let alone ever be transformed into the image of Christ? Truth is such a precious life-giving commodity that it needs to be handled with care needs to be handled kindly, graciously, lovingly, and, but not put on the shelf. We cannot choose not to engage with it. We have to take and we have to apply this body of truth that we find in the word of God. And after knowing our sins forgiven, after knowing the commencement of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to know that it has an incredible role to play in our life. We are not to be scared of it, we're not just simply to sing it or to talk about it, but we are to massage it into every part of our life. That it's in our heads, it's in our hearts, it's in the way that we walk, it's in the way that we talk, it's in the way that we deal with people, we respond to people. That it must not simply be theory, but it has to be a reality for each and every one of us. And it must not play a secondary role to our emotions, our fears, and our insecurity. You know, there is absolutely nothing to be scared of in the eternal Logos. Jesus Christ himself, the eternal Logos. There is nothing to be scared of, of truth. We'll look again in a few moments that it may bring us some challenges to begin with, but there is nothing that we can be scared of in truth because ultimately, as Jesus himself said, truth sets us free. So how do we unpack this going forward. Just there's two areas I want to look at tonight before we wrap up. First of all, I want to talk about truth and love. As we look to see what truth means for us in each aspect of our Christian walk, the first place that we must start, the foundation of all that we talk about has to be the truth and love go together. Ephesians 4:15, so familiar says, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And when these two things come together, when love and truth come together, we have an incredibly powerful conversation. Speaking the truth in love isn't just correcting people. It isn't just telling it as it is. It is far more than that. There is a, a county in the north of England that is renowned for the bluntness of speaking. And they use this phrase, well, in this, in this county we call it a spade a spade, and then they go on to be rude. That very often happens. It's just like a precursor, well, I'm going to say it as it is. Well, who really cares what you think? And we, we have that dichotomy in, in the north of England. But you know, I've often had people come up to me and say, oh, Chris, can I tell you something in love? And when anybody ever says that to me, I feel really nervous. If you have to tell me that you need to tell me something in love, shove off. 
because I have enough friends who do love me and that will tell me. But people think that by saying, oh, Chris, can I say this in love, that it makes it all right. That then they can go on and attack and say something about me that they don't like, whether it be my sermon or the way I do certain things or my, sty- my clothes or my hairstyle or whatever that. But because they have said, can I say this in love, it makes it all good. Shove off. But then you get some people who are a little bit more subtle and they come up and they say the same thing but they're smiling all over their face. Chris, can you, do you mind? Oh, I really appreciate you, really love you, bro. Can I say something to you in love? And they think because they're smiling, it's okay. And the same biblical response again is shove off. Because if you have to say that to me again, but again, say this in love, then I don't really think you love me. You just want to say something. They just want to get it off your chest. If anybody ever comes to me now and says this, so please don't do it. If people come to me and say, Chris, can I say something to you in love? I'll say, thank you for saying that. Let me, get, let me go away and I'll get back to you. And I never do. I never do. Because if someone has to say that, then what are they playing at? But you know, the reality is we all need people in our lives to play such a role. We desperately need people who will invest in our lives that will speak truth to us. To have truth being dropped into our lives by people who love us and care for us is much more than having someone kindly correcting us. It includes that, but it goes much further. Yes, it will challenge our insecurities, but that's good because that will allow us to grow and mature. But it's about investing in people, combating the lies of the enemy, It's not just simply speaking what is truth, it is speaking truth that has a motivation that is anchored in our love for God, our love for his truth, love for one another, and for the people of God. You know, if you don't have someone who is speaking truth into your life in a kind and gracious and loving way, your life's out of balance, it's out of kilter. You need to have that that flow of someone speaking into your life. Build, have someone that will build you up and not undermine you. It requires an intentionality and a willingness to allow other people to get involved in our lives and vice versa. Tim Keller, again, says it so well. Love without truth is sentimentality. It affirms us but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Who would not wish to have someone who cares so much for us that they are willing to speak into our lives. Truth and love go together. There's um, an American pastor by the name of Gloria Fuman who pastors a church in Dubai. She's a Christian writer, and she calls this process truthing with others. I like that, truthing with others. And she said, solid doctrine is our material, love is, a, is our disposition, and maturity in Christ is our aim. You know, we need to handle truth incredibly carefully but we need people who speak that truth into our, uh, into our lives. This morning I, I, I referred to two incidents in my life that transform the way that I, I think about these things. They always keep me, as it were, to use that phrase on the straight and narrow, I'll just, just tell you one tonight. But I, for the, the turn of the 2000s, I was, um, I was working with the Elim churches, I was a pastor with the Elim churches in the UK, and they were looking for a, a new missions director. And um, I had no desire to be the international missions director at all. And, uh, but they asked me to apply. And because I'm, I'm, 
that's just in that sense, I was a good, loyal member of the Elim Churches. I allowed my name to go forward, and I was interviewed along with about five or six other people. But I hadn't approached the interview. I didn't want the job. I didn't expect to get the job, so I was quite relaxed. I was really relaxed going into this, this whole situation. And we went through quite a lot of interviews we had to present and do all this stuff. And then I think, I don't remember all the details, but I think the six of us were whittled down to two. And then we had another interview, <clears throat> another interview after. And I still had this attitude. I didn't want it. I was enjoying what I was doing. Life was good in that sense. We had a young family and it was all good. I got the job. I got the job and I was really, I was quite disappointed because it would have to make a decision then. Did I want it or did I reject it? And so we went back for a, what had been a post-interview, and they sat me down, there's about eight or nine guys, and they sat me down and they said, Chris, we got one question that we're asking the both of you. And I said, fine. And they said, if we were to take you in this role, do you have any skeletons in your cupboard that you need to tell us about? Which is a good question, but this is the guy who still doesn't want the job. And so I just thought, and my answer, and this was my answer, well, how many cupboards do you want me to tell you about? And they absolutely threw them. I still got the job and um, carried on. But one of the guys who was on that committee or on that interviewing board was a dear friend or a family friend. And he was a mentor of mine. And I remember him coming around. I think he came around to our house. And um, I used to go to see him. But I knew there was always trouble when he used to come around to see me. And he sat me down and he said, Chris, you give a really good funny answer in that interview. He said it was really, really funny. He said, but we made a mistake of not picking it up after we just allowed it to go on. And he said, did you use humor as a deflection from the truth? And he said, I want you to look me in the eyes and tell me, do you have any skeletons in your cupboard? I didn't, but I totally respected that guy who had the guts to run the risk of, I'd been appointed, there was no going back on that, I'd been appointed and that, that was done, a done deal. But he loved me enough to sit me down and say, Chris, let's go back to that and let's ask you that question again. He nailed me on my humor, which wasn't, it was, I still think it was quite a funny answer, but he wanted to know, was that covering up something else? And I have times in my life when people have come along and asked me really, really difficult questions. I had two choices in that situation. Firstly, to be angry and indignant that he had the temerity to ask me that question because, hey, the other guys didn't, couldn't be bothered to come back and answer it. Or I could be grateful that I had a friend in my life that cared enough to ask really tough stuff. And for the next 10, 12 years, he asked me continually on a monthly basis, tough stuff about my life and situation. You know, for truth and love to, to go together, love and godly concern should undergird all that we say and do. Carefully chosen words that challenge, that provoke, that edify, that encourage us are essential for each and every one of us. And love and truth have to go together for this to be successful. Secondly, of the two, I just want to talk a little bit about truth and relationships. As I said earlier, I, I want to talk about this because I find myself in way too many 
life conversations where I hear people say, as I said earlier, well, if I say that, well, if I say what I want to say or say the truth of the consequences of their reactions in my spirit, how they react will be too much for me to cope with. I can't take the pushback. I can't take the hassle. I can't take the the mental anguish. It's not worth me telling them the truth of how much they have hurt me. And I want to ask a question. Is this the way that we should be living our lives, our relationships, our marriages, or functioning as families? I don't really think that we should be. That if we are not willing of not prepared or not able for whatever reason to be able to say to someone, you have hurt me, then we have an incredibly shallow relationship. Or if we are not prepared to push back because that person may respond out of their insecurity or in their anger, then something is not right and truth needs to come into these situations. Marriages, relationships, friendships are not genuine or at least not what they should be if we cannot speak the truth. If we are fearful of having to duck and weave or walk on eggshells in the light of what other people may say, then something isn't right and needs to be rectified. As I quoted earlier, these these three responses I hear too often and deeply concern me. Oh, I could never do that because I don't know how, how they would react. I reckon every single one of us have people in our lives that we can say that about. That's the relationship. The truth needs to enter in and truth needs to search out what is reality there. Well, I could never do that because it would only make things worse. Maybe initially, but for something to be put right, eventually truth has to enter. (laughs) Oh, I could never do that because they'd get upset and they wouldn't speak to the kids and me for hours or even days. Sometimes we don't speak truth to moody people because they will continue to be moody. But if we don't speak the truth, how will we ever confront them in that situation to stop them being moody? Of course, you don't know any moody people at all. I know these scenarios are way too common in relationships and families and so on, not to talk about them. It's the reasons why friendships fail, why marriages collapse, and why families argue, and lives for many in those areas of relationship are incredibly miserable. The silent treatment, the the loss of temper, the huge resentment, the withdrawal of sex, the passive-aggressive partner are all too often the consequences for many, and maybe even some of us, of being scared to tell the truth because of the nervousness around the other person's response. Next week, we will look at our response, but this is just the first part of it. Also... What can often happen in a relationship is that that an incident takes place or something is said and for many a good mental reason, the offended person, rather than saying something or be open about their feelings or how they have been hurt, decides, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going back. It's not worth the hassle. The excuse that is then offered up mentally is, well, I don't have the energy to have another confrontation, which is totally understandable. Or... I must keep the peace. I must keep the peace here. Or they didn't really mean it. Any one of those excuses are often brought 
brought out and put forward for not speaking truth or not, if I can use that phrase, pushing back. But you know what happens in reality is that when truth is excluded, is that resentment and bitterness fills the gap that ferments for years and years, but will one day undoubtedly explode. That is why marriages blow up after 30 years plus. People think, oh, goodness me, thinking you've been with somebody for 30 years. Why wouldn't you want to stick it out? Why didn't you want to hang in there? But what has happened is that there has been an a, a, a exclusion of truth. And that truth has been replaced by resentment and bitterness. And someday, one almighty explosion happens. And it doesn't matter if you've been married three weeks, three months, or 30 years. It explodes. Because truth has not set anybody free at all during that whole situation. It may not seem like it very often, but there are always more benefits than dangers in telling the truth in our relationships. For when it comes down to this, until we learn to tell the truth and tell the difficult truths in a relationship, it can only be as good as it can be. But I believe God wants us to exercise and to move in truth and be set, by, by, set free by truth so that our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our families have a quality about them that is outstanding and appealing to the people who we encounter every day. Relationship and friendship will forever be shallow if we cannot be ourselves. Rick Warren says it so well. <clears throat> it says, it is scary to speak the truth in love. The reason we stuff our feelings and hide the issues in our relationship is because we fear the possible consequences. We let fear become greater than our love. Speaking the truth in love means taking a great risk. And because we don't want to take the risk, we settle for superficial, shallow relationships. Hope and I, we've had a couple of pivotal times. She's looking at me with one of those looks. What are you going to say? No. We've had a couple of pivotal times in, in, in our marriage. Well, first one was pretty early on, and thank you, Jesus, that we had it pretty early on. I, we were married in 1984, thank you, and, um, I, you know what I mean, this is really on the, on the cusp, this is all before all the sort of, a lot of the stuff that came out about Wild at Heart and all that stuff, but we were fairly new men in the, in the early 80s, and we wanted to do the best we can, and I was, as a young husband, wanted to do the best, so I, I decided, I'm going to ask my wife, fairly regular, how's she doing? And I would say to you, are you doing all right? Are we doing all right? And I, and she would say yes, and I heard Yes. And I was really pleased. But guys, you know that when you say to your wives or your girlfriends, if everything is okay, the word that came out of their mouth has nothing to do with reality. It has nothing to do with truth. And I just thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good at that. I never used to, but maybe hyperbole now. I was thinking I was really good at this. And then I suddenly realized that things weren't right between us. But I'd asked the question. Every guy is looking at me now saying, I totally understand, but I'm too scared to mention it. That's where truth comes in. But you know, and I just thought, oh, I was doing a good job, hope was saying yes, we were doing well all the time. I'm thinking, this is a walk in the park until I suddenly realized that yes didn't mean yes. And in fact, I was pretty dumb and pretty stupid. But you know, we had one of those really pivotal, good conversations that we, as I said, was fairly on, early on in our marriage. I, she had to appreciate that I was a guy, not that bright, pretty dumb, didn't do emotions, that when I heard yes, it was yes. 
But she also had a responsibility to say that if things weren't right, that if she didn't say, if she didn't say no, then that wasn't the truth. If she, she couldn't lie to me and get away with it, but she would say that she wasn't lying. It was up to me to guess that things weren't right. And we had this great conversation around, unless God gives me a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, I'm going to take yes as yes. And we worked it out. We did work it out. One of those conversations that probably has kept us together for 33 years, says he, remembering. You know, the other thing that we do is, um, as a couple, we learned this pretty early on, is we also do pretty and handsome and good-looking. You know, the worst thing in a girl-guy relationship is when the wife or the girlfriend turns to the husband or boyfriend on seeing someone that says, gosh, they are pretty. And you know, and for the guy, it might as well be the end of the world. It might as well be Armageddon. It might as well be the apocalypse all rolled into one. Because how do I answer? If I say yes, then the question could well come back, well, is she prettier than me? That's not what I said. I just answered a very straightforward question. But if I said no, then I'd be lying. And if I said yes, then the reply could cause so many troubles. But you know, and I just answered the question with dumb, stupid honesty. Yeah, she's really pretty, gosh. But you know, it's a silly example. Silly example, but I reckon that most of us who've been in relationships or in relationships all can identify with some things that trigger reactions in their partner that needs to be talked about. And why does somebody go that way? That's a really dumb example that I've given, but it's, it's, it was true for us. That we have situations that trigger responses that truth needs to get in and weed out the gunge and allow the word of God to get in there. My prayer would be that we think better that we think through the consequences of what we're saying or what we're asking. <coughs> it sounds tough or might even be risky, but we must be willing to risk rejection because we love that person. Now, that's a tough one. You know, we must ri- risk the, their ire, their anger that says, you know, I can be honest, you really annoy me when you do that or you really hurt me when you do that. Why do you do that? But we must welcome loving confrontation because we love that person. It takes courage. I just want to ask a question of us all, really, as we wrap this up. Who do you and I need to have an honest conversation with this coming week? Who do we need to tell that things aren't right? Whom do we need to apologize to that we perhaps haven't been as truthful in our responses, in our reactions, and in our feedback as perhaps we could have been? What is the point in pretending there isn't a problem in one of our relationships when there is? Truth needs to enter and be handled very carefully. Whatever needs to be put right, truth will play a huge role. (laughs) I love the following quote from, from Andy Stanley. He says this, you can't blame your way into a better future. Truth sets us free and gives us a better tomorrow. In other words, nothing is going to change in an area of our lives or our families that is not function as it should by blaming others or external circumstances or by doing nothing. A better future, a better relationship will only come with the entrance of truth. <clears throat> do you know what would be a fascinating trial if we were to do this? That we would go to someone and say, you were more important to me than my hurt or my opinion. Let's discuss it. 
Musicians, please come and join me. You know, we will come back to this next week and um, we'll see where that takes us. You know, but if we, need, if we desire to grow in the image of Christ, we must learn to love truth. Otherwise, we will always leave or open a door for deception, for the enemy to take what is meant to be ours. God has made us to have good relationships on those things that we've already mentioned. Some of us may have a difficult time facing truth and reality, but we have to do something. You know, we can't deny the existence of problems. We can't deny their existence. You know, if I can put it like this, the devil is real, life is real, people are real, problems are real, and poverty is real. But the good news is that we have the answer through the person and the life and the, that is Jesus Christ and his living word. Telling the truth can hurt, but usually, but usually, sorry, but usually speaking the truth with, with love, with tact, with grace, with humble attitude of esteeming others more highly than we esteem ourselves will be an incredible antidote and an incredible entrance for truth to come in. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.